This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Antitrust violations can lead to a variety of options by the government, including company breakup or split. But what about for digital platforms? Big tech has received a wide swath of criticism for the problems we see pop up via the Internet. And there's also a sector that is developing much technology and innovation and platforms we're going to be relying on in the decades ahead. That's partly the topic discussed in a new paper by Wharton's Herbert Hovenkamp, who's a professor of legal studies and business ethics. He is also professor of law at the University of Pennsylvania's Cary Law School. Herb, great to have you back. Happy New Year to you, sir. Thank you, and you too, Dan. Thank you. So let's start with where the concerns might lay in terms of what we know as kind of traditional groundwork and framework for antitrust violations and what big tech may be looking at, especially with these digital platforms? Well, um, they have certainly done things that could be challenged as antitrust violations. Nearly all of them are various types of agreements. For example, uh, Google pays a fortune to Apple every year to make uh, Google search its default search engine. Uh, However, I don't think there's much warrant for this prolonged, repeated attack on big tech as such, which is using up a very large percentage of agency enforcement revenue. Uh, Big tech is highly productive. Uh, Growth rates in big tech are, you know, roughly three to as much as four times as large as the growth rates of the overall economy. They do enormous amounts of research. They're among the largest patent-receiving entities. And there's no real evidence of, you know, uh, naked antitrust violations among them. They don't fix prices or things like that. These tend to be more vertical agreements, uh, occasionally mergers. And uh, I think this whole effort needs to have a little bit of adjustment in perspective, not exit from antitrust enforcement of big platforms, but keep them more in balance with uh, what we do in other in other markets. And significantly beyond that, I think uh, we should avoid the effort to try to, quote, break up big tech yep. uh, because we have a very poor track record with respect to breakups. And uh, these are firms that are not very well understood, and uh, the implications of breakups can be can be very, very big. You say in the paper that there's, there's an element of what we're seeing play out right now that can also link back to uh, some of the things that IBM dealt with back in the 1960s. How so? Well... In the 1960s, the U.S. versus IBM, the last big federal action against IBM, was brought in 1969. At that point, uh, IBM was the largest firm by market cap in the U.S. Uh, It was fiercely innovative. It generated thousands of patents. It was in the process of innovating, well, what eventually became the the uh, personal computer, although that happened through a series of stages over a two-decade period in which uh, computers got smaller and smaller. 
Uh, in the process, they were harming a lot of competitors, some competitors who made uh, independent goods like controllers that got sucked into the new miniaturized systems. You know, most of the things in your laptop computer today uh, were sold independently, and they were hooked together by cables in computers that, uh, you know, were the size of airplane hangers. And yeah. it was IBM's miniaturization effort that very largely prompted the government's case at the behest of uh, competitors. Uh, that turned into what at that point was the most expensive antitrust uh, litigation that had ever been commenced. Uh, and then finally in 1982, uh, the, court, uh, the uh, government simply abandoned it and dro- dropped the entire case. But the expectation still feels like that we are going to see the government continue to put pressure uh, on big tech, which will obviously have a downstream impact uh, against a lot of these companies with digital platforms, won't it? I think they should keep some pressure on, but they need to be more selective about uh, targeting practices that are harder to defend uh, and that have more obviously anti-competitive consequences. The big payment from uh, Google to Apple for default status, that comes to mind. We don't know everything about that yet, but it was certainly the focus of the, uh, of the Google search trial a few months, um, months ago. On the other hand, when you start looking at uh, cases like, for example, the new complaint brought against Amazon, uh, which involves tying of Amazon's support for uh, shipping and so on, uh, who gets to be put inside the buy box, which is yeah. kind of the first place people look when they buy products, claims that Amazon is y- using I, uh, Amazon Prime to tie up uh, digital video along with uh, music streaming and, and product sales. These are all pretty small potatoes and highly controversial claims a good case can be made that many of them produce more benefits than harms, uh, and they are going to be a quagmire when they have to be uh, litigated, particularly given the fact that Amazon does not have substantial market power in very many products. Uh, you know, it sells 12 million products. It's a very, very big firm. but. Yeah when it's spread over that many products, there are not all that many products where Amazon has a dominant market share. Ebooks comes to mind. It's cloud services uh, has, uh, has a sizable market share. But for the vast majority of things that Amazon sells, batteries, toasters, uh, clothing, uh, tools, and so on, Amazon has fairly small market shares, many of them more or less the same as Walmart. Uh, and uh, the amount of resources we're putting into a case like that, I think, are seriously outweigh any benefits we can expect to receive. And isn't that the, the, the component of really trying to truly understand that concept of market power in t- today's marketplace? When you have a because a lot of people would say that Amazon does have a dominant position in quote unquote e commerce. But as you just alluded to, they have so many different items that you can get at so many different places. It's not 
it's not dominant when you think about the items that they sell themselves. Yes. The market power question is a very, very complicated one, but basically there are certain products that can only be sold on the Internet, streaming, for example, of music or video. Uh, with respect to those, Amazon is one of several competitors. Uh, it's a fairly big one, but those are both multi-firm, uh, multi-firm markets. And then with the entire range of tactile, you know, physical products, uh, there's an open question about the extent to which brick-and-mortar stores compete with uh, digital stores. I mean, for example, if you want to buy a toaster, uh, lots and lots of brick-and-mortar stores carry them. Uh, Walmart carries them. And then you can go over to the Internet, and Amazon and a number of other sellers carry them. Presumptively, the e-sales and the physical sales belong in the same market. It may ultimately uh, turn out that they're not in the same market because one has a cost advantage over the other. I mean, I'll give you one clear example. Grocery sales almost certainly, there's almost certainly not a relevant market for uh, e-commerce grocery sales. Groceries operate at a pretty significant disadvantage to brick-and-mortar sales. And as a result, uh, Amazon and other e-commerce sites have never been able to do all that well. Even Amazon with Whole Foods together uh, only have around 3% of the grocery market, much, much smaller than, say, uh, Walmart, which has about 20% of um, of, of the grocery market. So you need to go product by product and ask yourself, what is the range of competitive alternatives and pressures that exist for this product, and you get very different answers depending on which product you're looking at. So what's then the future, do you think, uh, of this uh, of this area from a regulatory landscape and the concerns around market dominance? Uh, uh, it still feels like, you know, even though there is pressure being put on by entities on Capitol Hill uh, towards big tech, that this is still kind of a developing area to truly understand all of the different components and and how they interact with one another. It's very much a developing area, and I think the best course of action in uh, in that situation is to is to go slowly, and certainly not to try to break up firms when you don't really understand what's going on. And injunctions. That's, you know, orders that stop certain anti-competitive practices have a much, much better track record in antitrust enforcement than, than mandatory breakups do, with one exception, and that is divestiture of recent mergers. Right. If a, firm A acquires firm B, that acquisition can be condemned, and then the, routinely the remedy is to uh, is to force the firm to, you know, spin off that acquired asset. But if we're talking about internally developed assets, then there's very little uh, optimistic history of breakups for uh, for, monopoliz- for monopolization violations, and many of them uh, have turned out badly. So basically what, what you were saying with that last example was almost, correct me if I'm wrong, 
it seems like the potential of a transfer of a monopoly to another company, correct? Well, that's, that is definitely a bad way to do a breakup. For example, you know, should, we, should the remedy in the Google search case be to force Google uh, to share, to, to transfer search to another buyer? Well, right. at least in the short run, the only thing that does is sell the monopoly to a different person who still has the monopoly. Uh, you right. know, we could sell, you could sell Google search to General Motors and it would become General Motors search, but it would still have the market share search algorithm and so on that it sells. So unless we can predict some other kind of pro-competitive consequence down the road, it really doesn't make any sense to simply transfer uh, a dominant uh, product like a search engine and breaking it up. How do you do that? It, it, uh, you, yeah. There's no real good way to come up with with uh, an engineering mechanism for breaking up Google search. Or how, for example, would you break up Facebook? Uh, you could you could create two networks with you know put men on one and women on the other one, or have one for the northern hemisphere and another one for the southern hemisphere. Or you could force Facebook. Uh, to give up some of its features, you could say, okay, we're going to break off all of the video content, and you can't right. post that anymore. The only thing any one of those remedies does is make Facebook less valuable. And it right. will hurt users, it will hurt investors, stockholders, employees, but it won't do any good in terms of making that particular set of markets more competitive. Herb, great to have you with us today, and thank you very much for your time and your insight on this topic. All the best. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. You got it. Herbert Hovenkamp, a professor of legal studies and business ethics here at the Wharton School, also professor of law at the University of Pennsylvania's Cary Law School. To explore more content from the Wharton School, visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.